Samsung has won the latest legal battle in its patent war with Apple over copying the design of the iPhone with a unanimous decision from the Supreme Court. But the decision does not end the battle that dates back five years and span the globe. The court ruled that Samsung may not have to pay all the profits it earned from phone models because the features it copied from the iPhone, the patented flat screen, the rounded rectangular shape, and the layout of the icons were only a part of Samsung's smartphones. The Supreme court upended the Federal Circuit's interpretation of the phrase article of manufacture. However, it did not lay out a test for how damages should be calculated, leaving that to the Federal Circuit, which it sent the case back to. At stake is the $399 million Apple won for Samsung's infringement. Our guests today are Matt Larson, Bloomberg litigation analyst, and Michael Risch, professor at Villanova University Law School. Michael, explain how the court came to its decision despite the traditional interpretation of the language of the statute. Sure. The court did a relatively straightforward statutory interpretation. It said, on the one hand, you can get a design patent for an article of manufacture, and we've long recognized for at least 50 years or more that an article of manufacture to get a design patent can be something less than a whole product. Uh, and I can give an example of that in a little bit if you'd like. Uh, so if we're going to be consistent, then an article of manufacture, when we're talking about damages, must have the same meaning. And if it has the same meaning, that means that article of manufacture can be less than the entire product. Uh, it's as simple as that. It's a relatively short opinion. Well, Matt, it is a relatively short opinion, but it does seem to raise as many questions as it answers. It, it, did the court now say that the, that the, the pieces of, that were infringed, the, the parts of the phone that were infringed, are separate from other parts? Or what does the Federal Circuit have to look at here? You know, that, that's a great question. The uh, The Federal Circuit certainly has a lot to work with. The court didn't say a whole lot, which, you know, frankly, sometimes in patent cases uh, is for the better. Um, you know, this case is an area design patents generally uh, differ very much between, you know, when you look at something like jewelry where where a design patent might cover an entire article as opposed to a, to a smartphone where the design patent may just be on the shape of the screen or a button or something like that. It can be difficult to, uh, to bring both of those together. So, you know, assuming that the parties don't settle uh, before additional litigation, I think the Federal Circuit is going to have to parse through how do you identify what the article of manufacture is. Uh, design patents don't include a whole lot of written description. It's mostly just a uh, just a picture that you look at, um, and it says you know a, a design according to uh, to what's depicted. And so, assuming the case moves forward, there's going to be a lot of room for parties to argue how do you go go through and determine what that. Uh, what that component is, what the separate article is, as opposed to the whole device. You know, is an article of manufacture something that's uh, that's put together separately and then all pieced together? Is it what you can see based on the based on the picture? There are a lot of inquiries that uh, that can be raised on this next time around. Now, the Supreme Court once again is reversing, Michael, the decision of the Federal Circuit, which specializes in patent law. Shouldn't there be a certain amount of deference to the experts on the federal circuit instead of turning things upside down once again? There should be, but this is, you know, this was a difficult case. The 
the Federal Circuit was basically relying on law and applying the statute as it's been applied for a long time. Uh, now, it may be that it's been applied the wrong way, but nobody ever asked the Supreme Court before. So on the one hand, you, you should have deference to the Federal Circuit on how the patent law should apply, the intricacies of how patent law cases work. Uh, on the other hand, one benefit of the Supreme Court is that it is a generalist court, and so it uses generalist statutory principles. And so we've seen that a lot of these reversals over the years have really been about a battle between rules and standards. Do we have bright-line rules? Do we have generalized standards? Uh, and time and again, the Supreme Court has said, look, we'll defer to the Federal Circuit generally, uh, but we're not going to have bright-line rules when the law actually has a more ambiguous, I shouldn't say ambiguous, vague is probably a better word, standard uh, that should apply here uh, in our generalized statutory interpretation. Well, you know, it doesn't feel, Matt, like the Supreme Court has had a lot of deference for the Federal Circuit over the last few years. In fact, they, they keep reversing them and sometimes in opinions that feel pretty caustic in the way they talk about the Federal Circuit's rulings. Why is there some general problem that they're having with the Federal Circuit that causes them to keep changing the way that patent laws is being interpreted? You know, I think that's the question that, that a lot of practitioners ask on a daily basis. And not only is it, um, you know, questions to how much deference the Supreme Court allots the Federal Circuit, but then um, when issues come back to the Federal Circuit, how much are they uh, kind of going along with the spirit of what the Supreme Court has set forth versus, um, you know, maybe uh, just minorly adjusting their their prior precedent uh, at the federal circuit level. So, you know, there's con in patent law, there's constantly this back and forth between the uh, between the federal circuit and Supreme Court. Um, and you know, on on issues like this, uh, you sometimes get highly technical. Uh, standards or inquiries that the Federal Circuit sets forth. They uh, they deal with patent practitioners day in and day out. And so, you know, I, I agree with the comments that it's actually good to have a generalist court take a look at something, say, on a, uh, you know, if we, if we take a step back, does this make sense? Um, in the current case, when you look at how you're valuing a design patent, you know, should should somebody be awarded full patents on a multi-component complex device like a phone where only the screen infringes a, infringes a design patent that starts to uh, starts to distort the economic reality of how much the components are valued and um, kind of what damages maybe should be at stake from uh, you know kind of an analyst perspective when uh, when you're moving into these cases and so you know I, the 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 deference certainly doesn't help out patent lawyers a whole lot but it's uh, it can sometimes clarify um, issues from an economic perspective. We're talking about a Supreme Court decision considering design patents, something it hasn't done in more than a century, and giving Samsung something of a reprieve in the Apple patent case over the iPhone. Our guests are Michael Risch, professor at Villanova University Law School, and Matt Larson, Bloomberg litigation analyst. Matt, Let's talk about exactly what's going to happen now that the Supreme Court has made this ruling but sent this back to the Federal Circuit. Yeah, so the uh, the Federal Circuit made its ruling and remanded for uh, for further determinations. Uh, the Supreme Court's decision was pretty limited in just uh, establishing that uh, part of a device could be an article of manufacture and not just the entire thing for the purpose of figuring out what profits are. Um, 
realistically, the the big question in my mind is, do Apple and Samsung actually continue to litigate this? Do they take it back down to the federal circuit and advocate um, some kind of bright line test or uh, or rule or a series of hurdles that you have to uh, to hop over before you can classify something as an article of manufacture for the purpose of litigation. Uh, my view is that it's going to settle before it actually gets down to the federal circuit. The reason being, the the money at stake. Uh, you know, initially it was three hundred ninety nine million. It'll get chopped down in light of the the Supreme Court argument or the Supreme Court decision. Uh, isn't a whole lot of money for either party. So realistically, I think that they have legal precedent that they both can be happy with. Um, so maybe you cut your losses and settle. But you know, one of the things the Federal Circuit, if it gets the case, is going to look at is how do we really parse through this and actually define what the what the articles at issue are. Um, that's that's in a way that's kind of in the same spirit as the Supreme Court decision. Well, Michael, that that is the question. What you know, because the the Federal Circuit could conceivably say that the device is so integrated you can't separate the uh, separate out the design components, or it could say that you have to value each one, and in this case, you should do it separately, or probably some other things. How do you think that the Federal Circuit is likely to look at this case in light of what the Supreme Court has said? Uh, yeah, I, I think that's. I think those points are right, and I, I'd add that it's a little more complex than that when you say value it out, because remember, it's all the profits associated with the article of manufacture. So even if you identify the article of manufacture, you actually have to identify what profits came from it, and so there's going to be a dispute about whether or not the profits came from the design patent or came from something else and how you allocate that. So I, I think it's difficult, but I also think there's precedent for some of this. There's precedent in how we determine whether an article of manufacture has been infringed. So we look at, you know, we look at the design patent and which parts are patented. And so when we look at what the article of manufacture is that's infringing, we can look at the parts of the infringing device and compare it to the design patent generally and get a sense. So, for example, in this case, it's the rounded edges and the rectangular shape. Uh, so we look and we can identify the rounded edges and the rectangular shape. Uh, we also have uh, at least some precedent, although there's lots of dispute in every case about how we apportion uh, profits to the value of patented inventions. Some expert reports on this are better than others, but they have surveys about the reasons why people bought products, surveys about functionality, surveys about uh, uh, the importance of design in the purchase. And so I think what we're going to see is the Federal Circuit coming up with uh, a general framework whereby economic experts are going to testify about where the value is coming from so they can divvy up to profits. So this case has yet to be settled, and if it goes wrong, will it again go up to the Supreme Court? Questions to think about. Thank you both for being on Bloomberg Law. We appreciate your input in this. And that is Matt Larson. He's a Bloomberg litigation analyst. And if you want more on uh, Matt's litigation analysts, you can go to BIGO on the Bloomberg Terminal. And thank you to Michael Risch, professor at Villanova University Law School, who specializes in patent law. 
law. Coming up on Bloomberg Law, we're going to be turning to the election recounts and also the the electoral delegates who are saying that they don't want to vote for Donald Trump. And some are going to court to say that and to establish that. Will these attempts stop Trump to stop Trump have any effect on the coming inauguration? That's coming up on Bloomberg Law. Straight ahead, I'm June Grosso with Michael Best. This is Bloomberg. Bloomberg. 